0: Amen. Well, if you would uh, open your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, we are here in the first 12 verses of this chapter. We've been in here for now three weeks looking at these exhortations to become what you are. Um, that's a, an, an interesting phrase that the Apostle Paul uses. He is uh, calling us to remember our justification. He's calling us to remember that we are declared righteous, that we are declared holy in the sight of our Almighty God, and yet uh, we need further sanctification. We need to be further glorified. We need to become more holy uh, here on this side of heaven, especially uh, in our lives as it pertains to sexual immorality, to brotherly love, and then to our vocations, how we Work to the glory of God, which will Lord willing, handle next week. But here it is that Paul, in verses 9 and 10 of our text, begins to talk about this affection that we ought to have uh, for one another. This affection that we ought to have for one another. And you have to understand, even before we read, what is the foundation of our text as he exhorts us to love one another more and more, remember that phrase from these verses, we want you to do it more and more. As he talks about brotherly love and loving one another more and more, he's given us these evidences, if you will, on how to live a life that is pleasing to God. He gives us these exhortations and he even repeats these exhortations so that we might know what is the will of God for our lives. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, isn't that a glaring question when it comes to the Christian life? We constantly, or, or hopefully, we, we constantly have this desire to please God by doing His will. Not please God by being willing to do His will. It, it's not good enough for us to be willing vessels for the Lord, but He actually commands us to go and do His will. And so we constantly ask ourselves, what is God's will for my life? And when we ask those questions, we think about things like college decisions. We just had baccalaureate this uh, afternoon uh, for the Dillon Christian School, and we, we thought about or we were thinking about how all of these kids, and Pastor Stephen Reynolds from Lattice Southern Methodist Church preached it. He was saying, you know, maybe you're going off to a Christian college, or maybe you're going off to a secular college, or maybe you're going off to the military or the workforce, or any of these things, and you began to kind of think about how how hard of a decision that is, right? And, and constantly, well-meaning high schoolers will say, well, you know, I wonder what God's will is for what college I ought to go to. Or you might hear someone graduating college, well, I, you know, I wonder what God's will is for the vocation. What am I supposed to do for work or who, Lord, what is your will and who I'm supposed to marry? And where am I supposed to live? And the, and the list could go on and on and on and on. And yet, the Apostle Paul says in verse 3, the, the will of God for your life is simply this, your sanctification. It's for you to grow in holiness. And Pastor Stephen actually gave a great exhortation there at the very end of his sermon Uh, It was a great word. Uh, But at the very end of his sermon, he said, You might be anxious about all these decisions, and yet Jesus tells us on the Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And and that is what the Apostle Paul is is highlighting here. The will of God for your life is sanctification. And then when it comes to the, the particulars, if you will, the the college decisions, the vocations, the marriages, the locations, all of these things, you you actually will see how the Lord just prepares the way. And and if we're we're striving for holiness, if we're working towards our sanctification, being enabled to be sanctified by God's Word and Spirit, we will constantly hear God speaking, here is the way, actually walk ye in it. Um, and, And Paul mentions three areas... Uh, in which we ought to be careful in our daily living to make sure that we are striving for Christ's likeness. Again, last week we talked about sexual immorality or sexual purity. This week we have something a little bit easier for us uh, to handle and we're talking about brotherly love. Brotherly love. I was talking to Pastor Don before uh, the service in between our baccalaureate service and uh, and this evening service, and I need to just go ahead and get a story out of the way so it won't be in my head, okay? Because all that I could think about while I was preparing this sermon this week uh, is there was a, a Church of God pastor. Uh, we were pro- playing music for a Revival, and his, his name was Brother Love. And I thought, boy, if there is a pastor's name, uh, that if you were going to be in the ministry and your name could be Brother Love, that is the name in which you want uh, I had a professor named Dr. Wisdom, and I thought that was it, too. Like, if I wanted to be a professor in a seminary, Dr. Wisdom is the name. Um, but Brother Love, he, he dressed like the KFC colonel uh, in an all-white uh, all suit, and, and you know how Pentecostals are. We were having a great service here uh, at the front of the church. They like to call it the altar, and we were praying, and we, you know, not we. I was playing drums, and all these people were praying, and he said, y'all can sit here and pray if you want to. Brother Love's going home. Because Brother Love's been praying all day, um, and so he walks out the church. I don't know who locked the church up after we left, um, but Brother Love left, um, and, and that story has just been in my head all week long. And so I had to get it out the way. Hope you enjoyed it. Anyway, uh, now let us turn our attention to God's Word, First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, reading just verses nine and ten uh, a, or the first part of verse ten. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Well, here it is that... Uh, we really just have to scratch at this phrase, brotherly love. If I told you that you knew the Greek language, you would probably tell me that that is not the case. But you do know this Greek word that that is uh, referenced here or translated here as brotherly love. And if you know something about the geography of uh, the United States of America you know that there is a city here in the United States called the city of brotherly love, right? Philadelphia. Uh, and that is the Greek word, and that's exactly how you translate the Greek word. Philadelphia. And it's, and it's one of those phrases that the, the Greek language likes to sandwich words together. I know that we and Dylan like to do the same thing um, improperly, of course. Uh, and, and, and the Greek language sometimes improperly begins to, to sandwich words together. And that is what we get when we get Philadelphia. Because it's a love, but there's also this compound aspect to it that, that points you to something deeper or something truer or, or something with a little bit more affection or devotion uh, that's wrapped into it. Uh, in, in fact, this, this phrase or this word Philadelphia, this compound word that Paul uses here to talk about brotherly love that should exist within the churches is actually the, the same verbiage that he uses when he's talking about marriage and, and love between husband and wife and parents and children. It's not agape love that maybe you've heard that before, agape but it's this idea that there is a deep, profound affection that exists within the love. It's not just lip service love. It's not just saying, love you, brother. But it's actually a love that carries not only affections, but also works. It's a love that that sacrifices. It's actually very similar to this idea of agape love in which... Paul uses to explain the love of Christ for his people. It's a sacrificial love. It's a working love. It's full of affection. It's full of devotion. It would be a compliment for, for a husband to look at a wife and say, I really love you with a Philadelphia love. I love you with deep affection. I love you with true devotion. And there's something about this love, and I think that, that Paul actually gets to it here within our text, that actually this love, this brotherly love, actually has to be worked on. It has to be cultivated. Not only does true love work, but true love is worked on, right? Pastor Stephen, as he was mentioning or talking about his introducing himself, I guess, is where he was in, the, in his bit of a sermon, um, he was talking about how he and his wife Friday just celebrated their 11th wedding anniversary. And, and he said what all husbands say and all husbands should say. I love my wife more today after 11 years than I loved her the day that I married her and the day that we started dating. And, and you think about that, right? You, you think about the, the troubles and the circumstances and the, and the situations in which a, a married couple have to, have to work through. And you think, well, you've hit some rocky paths, you've had some hard situations, you've experienced rough sufferings or, or hard providences. Are, are you sure? Are you sure that you love your spouse more today than you did when you said your original I do's or I wills? And and, and a good husband would say, well, of course, because we worked through those fights and we worked through those. Hard sufferings, and we work through those hard situations or circumstances. The love in which we have has been worked on; it's been cultivated. You know, our, our, you know, I guess my generation likes to say that you still have to date your wife because your your love for her has to continue to build upon each other. You really have to work on it. That's what the Apostle Paul's talking about here. That there is a. Cultivation to be had, this brotherly affection in which he is calling the believers of Thessalonica to. He he is saying, Yes, you are doing it, and yet to do it more and more you need to work on it. You you really need to be about the business of, of loving one another. And and the way in which Paul writes as he's as he's writing to Christians as he's writing to churchgoers and church members, he's saying that the way in which we love one another is actually showing or an evidence of that we have a real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what a, you know, Pastor Don read this morning from 1 John 3. In verse 23 it says, this is how we will know that we are children of God if we love one another. And in fact, he'll repeat that phrase, again in chapter 4 of 1 John as well. John is very, you know, very adamant that our, that our love for Christ will actually work, that it will be worked on, that it will show itself in love because God is love. And so in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, reading through verse 12, listen to this. his Son to us to be the propitiation, the forgiveness for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. You see what, what the Apostle John is drawing, is drawing his readers to understand if we know the love of God that's revealed to us in Christ Jesus, that He would give His Son to be the propitiation, the forgiveness of our sins, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our brotherly affection for for one another will reveal to us as a church that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that we know, we actually know, Not know of, but know God. And not only, not only is it a realization to us or an evidence to us as a church, but it's also the evidence to the world. It's a a light that shines out into the darkness. The Apostle John uses a lot of contrast elements to to draw your attention, to, to help you understand what he is teaching, and he uses dark and light constantly. If God is light, therefore we should walk in the light. And if the world is not of God, therefore in the darkness, the love that we display, not only amongst one another, but to the world around us, they will see that we belong to the Almighty God, who is the light. But it starts right here in the local body. And actually, that is a a command from the Lord, isn't it? You know, as Jesus meets with the lawyer in the Gospels, He tells us that the the, the summary of all the Old Testament law, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, they can be summarized down into the Ten Commandments, and then the Ten Commandments can be summarized down to this. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Right? Jonathan Edwards actually writes an entire, an entire book on the idea of love and charity in 1 John. And I want to read you this helpful summary that he gives. It's a little bit lengthy, but, but, but it really drew me in as I read it. Listen to this. If men have a hearty love to their neighbors, it will dispose them to all acts of justice towards them. Men are not disposed to wrong those whom they truly love. Love will dispose truth towards neighbors and will tend to prevent all lying, fraught, and deceit. Love will dispose to walk humbly among men, for real and dear love will dispose men to high thoughts of them. And Christian love disposes men to think others better than themselves. Love will dispose men to honor one another. For we are naturally inclined to think honorably of those whom we love and to give them honor. Love will dispose to contentment in the position of life in which God hath set him without coveting anything which his neighbor possesses or envying him any good thing which he has. Love will dispose men to meekness and gentleness in their carriage towards their neighbors and not to treat them with passion or violence but with moderation and calmness. Love checks and restrains a bitter spirit. Love will prevent brawls and quarrels and will dispose to peaceableness. Love will dispose men to forgive, which they receive from their neighbors. Love will dispose men to act, to all acts, excuse me, of mercy towards our neighbor who is under any affliction or calamity. And so, as he he writes this, he gives us really non traits of love, how, how it as it pours out from the Christian life. He says, justice, truth, humility, honor, contentment, meekness, gentleness, peaceableness, forgiveness, and mercy. That, that we will want wrongs right, or righted. I think I just created a word. But we would want wrongs righted, we will want truth told, we will walk in humility because we hold our neighbor in the highest of honor, We will be content in the way that God has given us life and given us position. And we'll be meek and gentle in our interactions with one another. We won't quarrel with one another, but we'll be peaceable with each other. We'll forgive when we have been sinned against. And we will be merciful towards our neighbors who are under any affliction or calamity. That's what Jonathan Edwards says flows from the heart of a Christian as they love their neighbor. And how much more so? And I think here's what Paul is getting to. How much more so? If there's a basic command from the Lord for us to love one another, to love our neighbor as we are, to love ourselves, how much more are we to love our brothers and sisters in the local church? That, that is what Paul's getting to. If the Lord holds in esteem this love that we should have for the world even, that this love that we should display for the world, how much more should we display our love to the local church and our brothers and sisters in the local church? Here it is that, that Paul puts on a full display of the union that we have with Christ, not only individually, but also corporately. You know, we've used the illustration from the Puritan John Owen time and time again, how John Owen says that the perfect picture of love exists within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and Dr. Kelly uses, I think it's uh, Aquinas' language, he says that the Father is love, the Son is the love-ed, and the Holy Spirit is the lover. That there is a perfect fellowship of love. And in 1 John chapter 1, John says that our fellowship is not only with one another, as brothers and sisters in Christ... But our fellowship is with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. With loved, lover, and love himself. And so we are called up into that glory as we are united with Jesus. But we're not called up into that glory and that love as, as individuals. We're actually called up into that love as a corporate body. That us as members of, of First Presbyterian Church, we are called up together in that love that the Trinity has within itself so that we might love our brothers and sisters in Christ here well. And you know something or you understand something about what Paul is writing. If you look at the second half of verse 9, he says that this is something that uh, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Essentially, he's saying, you you should be commended, Thessalonian believers. You have loved one another well, and you have loved your brothers and sisters in the church well, and you have been taught it by God. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It's actually a, a unique, again, a compound term that's used nowhere else in your New Testament." This idea that you have been taught by God. What I think Paul's getting to here is that it's just not mere head knowledge of what love is, but it pours itself out into action. There's evidence of this transformation. There's this evidence of understanding how much God has loved you. Therefore, you are to love one another. If we are taught by mere men, we have an increase of bare knowledge, is what John Calvin says. Bare knowledge... And yet, if we're being taught by God, there's an evidence of love that pours out from you for your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Actually, this is, what, this is what John Calvin writes on this very text. He says, God's teaching does not only enlighten the mind, but it reaches the affections and especially inclines the heart to love, for God is love. And so you see that the Thessalonian believers... They're already practicing this. Look at the first part of verse 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Throughout all the region, you have shown Christ's love to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and you think about the, the, the kind of the historical setting. We've talked about this early on in our journey through Thessalonians, that that there are a lot of people coming through this major trade city, this capital of the province, there's Christians who are traveling through, and there would be opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to share Christ-like love, not only to the world, but to, but to especially those who are believers of those brothers and sisters in the faith. And, and Paul says, you have done that very thing. And, and yet, at the same time, you think about it. You, you think about the, the setting of the church in Thessalonica. And at the same time, you're having all these churches being planted and established. You know, the church at Corinth, and the church at Ephesus, and the church at Philippi. You have all of these churches that are that are growing, and, and members of those churches are, are tradesmen, and they're sailing through. And you think, boy, all of those churches has major issues. And yet, the the church at Thessalonica, despite the warts in which these churches had, the problems in which these churches had, they showed a real Christ-like love to one another. Not only does that help us think through doctrinal differences, this this idea of, of being ecumenical in our spirit, working together with churches who are Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. They might not worship like us, and they might not have the same Reformed theology as us. They might not agree that we should be baptizing infants, but they belong to the visible body of Christ, that we ought to be working together for the advancement of God's kingdom. But it also helps us remember that the church is a, a group, a local group of sinners that are going to have problems they're going to have weaknesses and they're going to have strengths and, and a real Christ-like love, a real affectionate, brotherly love, yes, lovingly corrects when corrections needed. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Lovingly corrects when correction is needed, but also it works together despite the problems. You know, I think about the, the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, those, those churches that the letters are written to there in Revelation 2 and 3. And they have hosts and hosts of problems. And yet Christ sends them a letter to declare His love to them. His affection for them. And isn't that the same way that we ought to love one another and love the visible church and love our brothers and sisters in the faith? But let me continue on because we're out of time. If you look at uh, the second half of verse 10. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. This is the second time that Paul's written those words in these 12 verses. And and he's helping us to understand that we we must be encouraged in our love for the brothers. We must be encouraged in our love for the sisters in christ we must be encouraged to love the visible church despite the hardships despite the differences but we must actually sacrificially love one another evangelize disciple show hospitality to be merciful to forgiving to and, and so we 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 see how he is saying you must do this more and more there must be an increase in your love for the saints. And doesn't that... That speaks differently than just circling back to the very beginning. That speaks differently than just saying, church at Thessalonica, I hope you're willing to love your brothers. He's saying, no, you, you are actually doing it. You're loving your brothers. And yet I want you to do it more and more. You know, it, it's like a... This is a, probably a crazy... Illustration, But it's like potty training a kid. You know, the, the first time they, they get to the potty in time. I mean, the parents, I, I, maybe y'all didn't, but we went absolutely foolish in our hallway bathroom. I mean, we're, we're screaming, we're jumping, woo! we're throwing M&Ms around. I mean, that, that is a big deal. And, and we affirm in that way, why? Because they'll go back to the potty. And they'll go back to the potty. And they'll go back to the potty. And next thing you know, they're potty trained. That that is something in the the way in which Paul is encouraging more and more brotherly love. He is applauding them. He, He is saying, yes, you are doing it. And now go do it more. Show more love towards one another. Why? Because the church will be unified in it. The church will be unified in it. Very quickly, flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. This is how we're going to close. Unity in the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul writes this starting in verse 11. And especially as we do it more and more, we are building up the church more and more so that we might work properly for the kingdom. That's what Paul's saying, that if we desire to to serve the mission of the church well, to glorify God in the ministries of First Christian Church, then we must be built up in brotherly affection to one another. We can't be empty shells saying that we love the saints, and not really love the saints. Have a real devotion, a real affection for them. But if we love one another, if we love one another with this Philadelphia love, then we will see the church edified. We'll see the church growing. As Jonathan Edwards says, we will see a love that is lived. A love that abounds and works he says, if your heart is full of love, it will find a vent. The main business of the Christian life is love. Therefore, we need an, increasingly, an increasing understanding of the love of Christ so that we might be fired up to love uh, one another. That's the clearest evidence to not only ourselves, but to the world that we belong to Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to your word. And we pray, Lord, that it would pierce us into the heart so that it might quicken us to uh, do your will, to be sanctified, to grow in love for the saints here at First Christian Church and beyond. For thy glory and for the advancement of thy kingdom, build us up, O oh Lord, in the love for one another so that we might carry out the mission and the message of the church, so that we might be in ministry together. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.